You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, the place where hope and reality converge. If you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we continue as we're looking at these this, uh, this series called Five Zeros and leveraging our influence. We already mentioned that our lives with Christ make a 10. And if we put five more zeros behind the 10, we turn a 10 into a million. That we want to have greater influence. That we want to have influence in our world and in the world that's around us. And the question we've been asking is, when it comes to leveraging our influence, what are we doing with the influence that God has given us? You might think you don't have influence. You do. Every single one of us sitting here today have influence. You might say, well, I don't have much, or, or you might not be able to measure or see what it is, but each and every one of us have influence. You have influenced people sometimes without even realizing it. You've influenced people not, not even knowing or intentionally trying, but just the way you responded in a moment that you didn't even realize you were doing it, but you influenced them just because of the way you responded, and you did something without even trying. It could be good or it could be bad. The way that we respond, the influence that we have, and this desire that we're looking at this five zeros is that we want to leverage our influence. If we're going to do that, we've got to address the things that would hinder our influence. We've been talking about identifying the things that hinder. First week, we talked about limitations, that God, his kingdom is that seed that's been planted in us. And because of that, we have nothing that we are, there's nothing around us that can limit us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So limitations are gone. Last week, we talked about apathy. Apathy is that unresponsiveness that might affect us and cause us to, to not have influence because we become apathetic and we become not just careless but unresponsive to things. This morning I want to talk about another hindrance and looking from the life of Elijah. Now not Elisha, Elijah. Elijah came before Elisha but we're going to get to Elisha before the end when we start talking with Elijah. And I know it's going to happen by the time we go through this sermon. I'm going to say Elijah when I meant to say Elisha and I'm going to say Elisha when I meant to say Elijah. And y'all just going to have to follow along and just figure it out. Y'all are going to need Bible study this week to make sense of it all. You're, just, you're going to have to go to Sunday school next week or at some point group. You're going to have to go and figure it out because it's just going to be one of these we're going to weep through. I want to look at these two chapters. We're not going to read them, but we're going to, by the end of our time together, we're going to get a picture of chapter 18 and 19 in this first Kings. I want to start with verse 19. And here we find Elijah, who is a Hall of Fame type believer. Elijah is literally in Hebrews listed as one of the men of great faith. But I love the fact that Elijah is a man of great faith, but we find him in a place of great disappointment. I think that's encouraging to us because the Bible is filled with real human beings. Aren't you thankful that the Bible tells the stories of great men and women who were just human like you and I? They had moments of disappointment. They had moments of weakness. Here's why that's important. Because we sometimes think, oh, they were in the Bible. They had a special anointing or they had a better gifting than we have. No, we are gifted and anointed the same way. They were human just like we are. They're just like us. But they did great things for God. Here we get a picture of how human Elijah is. I'm not going to throw Elijah under the bus, but we're going to find out that Elijah had an issue. I think there was a condition that he had that was throughout his whole ministry. How many know even the greatest men and women of God still have issues? It doesn't matter how long you've been serving Jesus, you still got issues. 
Doesn't matter how long you've been going to church, reading your Bible, whatever you've done, there is no such thing as a perfect, polished Christian. There is only such a thing as a pure, made righteous by the blood of Jesus, whose, whose edges are being, being shaped and being more and more like Jesus. I will not become like him until I get to him, get to where he is in eternity. But in the process, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. But even though I become more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, I'm still not perfect today. And even though tomorrow I'm going to become more like Jesus But even tomorrow, when I become more like Jesus, more tomorrow than I was today, I'm still not going to be perfect. But here's Elijah in this condition, and we find him in a cave in verse uh, verse 9 of chapter 19. Would you stand with me as we read this word? I want to stand today because I want you to be alert. I want you to get this story. If you can stand, I'm so glad you got your Bible. Man, I know some of you have your devices. That's all cool too. But I want to encourage you, bring your Bible. Read, read the Word with us. I think it helps you catch the, the story, the context, and what's going on. And besides, you want to make sure what we're saying is really true. It's got to be lined up with Scripture. We want it to come from the Word of God. So if you don't have your Bible, encourage you. If you need one, let us know. We'd love to give you a Bible. If you don't have one, or, or maybe uh, you you've, uh, have a Bible that's, that's uh, at home, and it's real big, and you can't, you don't feel like putting it in the trunk of your car? We can give you, give you a Bible. We'd love for you to, to have that. 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 9. We scroll to it. Here it is. There Elijah came to the cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, same question. How many would recognize with me that the question asked twice probably inclines or tells us today that Elijah was where he was not supposed to be? How many would agree with that? If he's being asked twice, what are you doing here? Here he gives his second response, much like the first one. The voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told me, go back. Everybody say, go back. Go back. Go back. Go back the same way that you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel, the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nishmi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shapheth, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve, notice this, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. I will preserve 7,000. Have you ever been in a moment where you felt like you were the only one? 
Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt like you were the only one? I want to talk this morning about addressing that matter of that feeling of we're the only one. Father, I ask today that you would give us your word. And I thank you that, Lord, you've already provided it. Now, Lord, I pray that our word, your word would come alive in our hearts. Father, help us today, God, to see your influence in our lives multiply. That, God, we would not be stuck in the cave, that hiding, but, Lord, that we would go back to what you've called us to do and be effective for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Before you're seated, find someone, just encourage them that you're not the only one. You're not the only one. Just encourage them. Just, just tap them on the shoulder. Just tell them today, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. I want to share this morning from a title called Blown Out of Proportion. Blown Out of Proportion. You've had a conversation before that may have been affected because it was blown out of proportion. Something that occurred, it affected a perspective that you've had or a conversation that took place. Maybe the last, the, the last uh, uh, relational thing that, that happened around you was the effect of something being blown out of proportion. Something that's out of proportion is, is not in its proper space. It's not where, where it's in a proper perspective of how we should see it. I was sitting in my chair one evening and uh, just sitting there relaxing. And, and as I'm sitting there, I hear this cry from the back room and it says, Dad, come and get this. Hurry, come and get this. Oh man, oh man, come and get this. So I rise up not knowing what to expect and asking God for courage to face what I'm about to face. And as I go back the hall preparing, there I find it. It was a spider almost as big as a nickel. So I called Jody. No, I didn't. I looked at the spider. I looked. I said, really? This is why you said, oh man, oh man, hurry, dad, come and get this. I picked up the spider. I killed it. I said, there you go, Jaron. You're safe now. Go back in your room. (laughs) I love him. He's (laughs) blown out of proportion. I think he made a little bit of a deal that didn't need to be made out of it. Made a little bigger deal than it needed to be. It's blown out of proportion. The difference between... Perception and reality all depends at the angle that we're sold, or more importantly, the angle from which we buy it. There's an angle that something is trying to be sold to us, and the question is, will we buy it? Here's Elijah, and he has been sold a certain perspective. He's been sold a perspective while he's in the cave. And notice he's in the cave, and his influence is about ready to be snuffed out. He's in the cave. And how many know that when you're in the cave... It's hard to shine bright when you're in the cave. Oh, it might illuminate the cave, but it doesn't do anything of value. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, hide it in a cave. That's not the real song, but it still fits. That what you're called to do, but his influence was being snuffed out. Isn't it interesting that in the middle of the word influence is a word that we all run away from, and it's called the flu. And if you have the flu, thank you for running away. Please go to the cave. I don't want to be around you. Why is that? Because the flu becomes something that can be spread. And the only way for it not to spread is to be isolated, is to remove yourself. How many know your influence, the enemy wants to isolate and cause you not to spread, not to to cause there not to be something that would grow and build upon. He wants to put you in the cave and give you a perspective of you're the only one. 
You're the only one. He wants you to be isolated in your marriage. He wants to be isolated in the influence that you have around you. He wants to put you in a place where you cannot allow the influence to spread. He looks and the perspective that we can have, here it is. He says on two occasions, the Lord asks him or the voice says, What are you doing here, Elijah? And on two occasions he responds, I've served you with all the zeal I've had, but the people have, have fallen away. They've, they've broken the covenant. And then he says this, I am the only one. You felt that way before. But I notice here that when I look at this, and I read this whole chapter, and I was, was reading this, this whole story some time ago, I found out that this wasn't the first time that Elijah had said, I'm the only one. In fact, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, here's what's interesting. I think Elijah had a condition, and he had the only one syndrome. He had the only one syndrome because here it is in 1 Kings chapter 18. Now here's the story. We meet Elijah, and I want you to see this from chapter 18 to 19. We have, we have Elijah, and we're meeting him on two different sides. And in the middle is Mount Carmel. If you know about Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel is where Elijah went and he called down fire from heaven. He said to the prophets of Baal and to the king Aram, who was, who was a horrible king, the king that, that was there, he says, bring your prophets and I'll come and we'll see which God answers by fire. Whichever God causes fire to come from heaven, that's the true God. And they said, great idea. They were great idea because they were hungry for truth in that moment. And they said, great idea. And so here's Elijah as he comes out and he's calling down fire. And here's what it says in, verse eight, in chapter 18, verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Notice here's Elijah again. And what's he say? I'm the only one. We now have him on two sides with Mount Carmel in the middle. And on this side, he goes to the king and he says, you have 450 false prophets, but I'm the only one. And then on the other side of Mount Carmel, he's hiding out in the cave saying, oh God, I'm the only one. One moment, he's about ready to have victory. On the other moment, he's about ready to die. And in both places, he says this, I'm the only, thank you for those of you that are participating in the sermon this morning. I'm the only one. But here's what we have to look at. The matter of fact is that, hey, Elijah, it wasn't true. In fact, in chapter 18, when he says on this side, hey, you've got 450 prophets of Baal. You come. If you back up to the beginning of chapter 18, before this happens on Mount Carmel, Elijah has a conversation with a servant called Obadiah. He's the servant of the king. And he says to Obadiah, he appears, and the king has been looking for Elijah everywhere. They've been looking for him. They've been in a three-year drought, and the king said, it's his fault, he needs to die. And so they wanted Elijah to die, but Elijah was on the run, they couldn't find him. All of a sudden, at the start of chapter 18, Elijah appears to Obadiah, who is the servant of the king, and says, hey, go tell your master I'm here. And Obadiah says, no, I won't. They've been wanting to kill you. And they've been going and shaking down other kings saying, hey, where's Elijah? And they made him swear that you weren't there. And that was because you weren't there. The last thing I'm going to do is go tell him you are here. And then you're going to be gone and he's going to take my neck off. I'm not doing it. 
Here's what he says, and this is the conversation Obadiah has with Elijah. He says, why would you do that to me? Why would you put me in that predicament with the king to tell the king that you're here? And here's what he says. Didn't anyone tell you that I took a hundred of the Lord's prophets and hid them in caves? Didn't anyone tell you that I fed them while we were going through a drought? I gave them food. I gave them water. Didn't anybody tell you what I did with these 100 prophets? Now, it's very likely that Elijah didn't know. They didn't have social media. They didn't have the way, hey, the update today. Hey, honey, I noticed today on Facebook that the prophets were hiding out in the caves. They didn't know what was going on. Elijah wouldn't have had the information. But how many know the moment he had a conversation with Obadiah, he would have known something? Here's my point. He stands at Mount Carmel after having a conversation with Obadiah and he says on Mount Carmel, you have 450, but I'm the only one. Did you ever notice anybody to exaggerate the truth a little bit? Did you ever meet anybody that they exaggerate the truth just a bit? They, they kind of go beyond a bit of that place. And he says, he, he says there, I'm the only one. Now, here's what it would be. In that context, I'm sure, yeah, you're the only one standing right here. So we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he was just saying, I'm the only one in this present condition in this moment. I would give that to him, except on the other side of Mount Carmel, he's doing the same thing in a different situation. He's saying the same thing. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And in both contexts, I believe that he blew it out of proportion. On this side, he said, I'm the only one. Forgot there were a hundred that were hidden by Obadiah. On this side, he said, I'm the only one. And he forgot what he heard. He even forgot that he just killed the 450 prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal are completely gone. And now he's there, but he's saying, I'm the only one. Hear this matter of perspective on both points and on both places. He blew it out of perspective. It was blown out of proportion. This misunderstanding. This misunderstanding in the, in the way that he saw it. Sometimes our ego gets in the way. And it hinders us from being an influence. Our ego is sometimes in a place that it hinders us from being in a place of influence. Ego is the portion that we play and sometimes we blow things out of proportion by thinking too highly of ourselves or even thinking too lowly of ourselves. The enemy wants us to be at one place or another that we can sometimes... Have you ever been around anybody who knows it all? Have you ever been around somebody where they know everything about everything there is to know about anything? And they can never take advice. All they can ever do is give advice. Don't point to anybody. <laughs> you know the person who knows it all has no more to influence. You know why? Because if they know it all, that's all they'll ever know. If they already know it all, then there's not a two-way to continue learning. You cannot continue influencing until you open yourself and allow yourself to be influenced. You can't continue to give if you don't continue to receive. And you've got some places in life where we can think a little too much of ourselves. I'm the only one. I'm the only one doing it right. I'm the only one that has the right, pro the right personality, the right, the right idea of how this works. I'm the only one. I I'm the only, we're the only church. So we're the only one. You can think a little too much about yourself. That can be a danger when you say, I'm the only one. But how many know you can be the only one and you operate with what giftings you have? Or you can be on the other side and you're in the cave. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. 
And all of a sudden, you're oppressed by what people think or what people are doing and how people are perceiving what people are doing. And the enemy wants to get you to one extreme or the other because if he can put you over here, then he'll hinder your influence because your influence will never go further than you because you're the only one. How many know you can't burn a log too far if the log is all by itself? You're not gonna, or the fire's not gonna go too far if the log is by itself, but you put that log with some other logs and it causes a fire that will continue and increase and grow. And so the enemy wants to get you to a place where I'm the only one. Well, if you're the only one, then you only burn until your one is done. And you're one and done. You won't have influence because you're the only one. But you can go on the other side and you can be the only one and the enemy will cause you to be in such a place that you isolate yourself and you remove yourself. And in both places, it's a danger And ego gets in the way, looking too little or too much. But this morning, I want to encourage us to have our ego in proper proportion. That we put our ego in proper proportion. We lay aside our ego, yes, but you can't completely get rid of your ego because your ego is the identity of who you are. You have an identity. You have an ego. If you've met someone who's humble, even the most humble people around us have egos. Every one of us have a perception of ourselves and a desire of how we want to see that perception of ourselves and how we want people to see us. We have an ego. Look at your neighbor and say, you have an ego. You don't say you have an ego problem. You just have an ego. Don't, don't make it more than what it is. You have an ego. You have a way that you see yourself and you have a way you want people to see you. That's not a problem. The question is, is our ego in proportion? Is it in proper proportion? Do we have it in the proper place? If we think too highly, it's about us. If we think too lowly, it's about people. But if we think properly, it's probably because people are looking at us and they see Jesus in us. When you have a proper portion, when your ego is in proper proportion, it is a place where people can see Jesus shining through us, that we line up as much as possible in the light of Christ, that, we, that we, our thoughts line up with His, our words line up with His, our actions line up with His. My ego is in line with the one who is, is number one. I want to line up with Him. How many want your ego to be in alignment today? We put our ego in proper proportion. Don't throw ego out the window. Don't get rid of it. You've got a personality. There's a way God's made you. He's wired you a certain way. He's called you to have a certain way of looking at things. The angle that you look at life is not wrong. It's not wrong that you see things the way that you see it. What's important is that you see Christ in the way you're looking and what it is that your eyes are set on Christ. But here's the reality. Even the Gospels, the four Gospels, the writers, how many know that all four of them had a different angle at looking at Jesus? They saw the same thing, but they emphasized different points and different things. Why? Because they were wired to look at a way that their egos or their personalities, who they were, the, the way that they were made, was caused to look, and they pulled out different things of Christ. None of them in contradiction, but they had a different way of looking. I don't want you to look at life the way I look at life. I don't want you to see things always the way I see them. Here's why. Because when I learn how you see things, it'll help me see things a little better when I learn the way I see things or the way you see things. And when you see things the way I see sometimes, it might help your perspective of how you look at things. I had an issue this week and, and uh, I had one of those things where I, I was out at the store and, and uh, someone just, I, I thought they were, you know, they were, it was just very poor customer service. They just treated me real horrible. And I was on the phone with my dad, and I said to my dad, I said, man, I just, that customer service. And I told dad what the, what the individual said. You know, and the individual was real bossy, real, real mean. And dad, this was dad's response. Well, maybe he was just joking around. Dad, you always have a way of looking at things. It just makes it like, in my mind, I'm like, 
do your job the right way. You're, that's horrible customer service. That's not how you do it. And what's dad saying? Well, maybe he was just joking around with you. Yes, dad. Okay, good. We're done now. We're... <laughs> dad has a way of looking at things. Don't let mom get a copy of this message, but I tend to look at things the way mom looks at things. <laughs> we, don't... we tend to look at the problems before we look at the great things. That's just dad's easygoing way of life. I mean, dad's just so easygoing and but your perspective helps my perspective. And the way we look, here's what I want to encourage us today. Put our ego in proper proportion. Can I give this to you this morning? I want to give you the ego, E-G-O. Here we go, number one, the letter E, or number E. It's a letter. Eliminate exaggeration. If we're going to bring our ego into proper proportion, we need to eliminate exaggeration. You know when something is exaggerated, it tends to have some of the truth, but it goes further than the truth, right? You exaggerated the story. No, the the fish wasn't this big, but it was that big, which is part of the truth, just not the whole truth. It was exaggerated. The perspective that you had was exaggerated. We do this all the time, and this is one of the things Jody and I made a made a rule that we we now when it happens, we just laugh, but we early on said, here are some rules and some rules in our home. And when we have conversation and there's something that might be a moment where, hey, we're talking about something that would, would uh, be a disagreement. We, we put a place, a rule in place. And we say, we never use the word never and always. We never give ourselves permission to say, well, you never, or you always, because how many know to say never and always is exaggerating. And the moment I say never and always, I'm saying I don't really want to deal with the real issue. I want to exaggerate the issue and I want to deal. I'm making it more than what it really is. Let's keep it what it is. Don't make it more than what it is. Don't say it's always like this. It's not always like that. You never did. That's not true. Quit exaggerating because your exaggeration is causing you to have an improper perspective. You're not looking in a proper way. You're not seeing it accordingly. We go too far. Notice how the presence of God is revealed to Elijah. And I think this is, this is something of, of value. Here's Elijah. And the Bible says that there was a wind, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. There was an earthquake, and the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, and the Lord wasn't in the fire. But then there was a gentle whisper. Here's what I believe the Lord would say to us, is that sometimes we even allow our spiritual life to be lived with God in exaggerations. We tend to look for God in the exaggerated moments of fire, wind, and ha, uh, and we miss that he's the constant whisper who is there. Listen, I don't need a fire. I thank God for the fire and the wind and the stuff that comes. That's good, but I love the gentle whisper. You know why? Because that means he's so close that I can hear him when he whispers. He's so close to me that I can hear him when he whispers. I need to have not the exaggerated perspective of, oh God, come and shake us and give us fire and make us, make us burn. God, yes, I want you to do a fire. I want you to do a work. I want you to do something in my life absolutely but there's this desire as well God I want to know you in the gentle whisper here's why because if I live in the exaggerated moments there is not a reality a reality does not exist in the exaggeration reality exists in the constant in the whisper in the quietness of his voice of hearing him of knowing him in moments when it doesn't look like it but I know his presence is with me when I'm in the cave and the Jezebel is out 
to kill me and I'm, I'm running for my life. I know his presence. It's not because of the wind and the fire. It's because i got to be still and hear his voice and hear him whisper to me. And on the other side of Mount Carmel, when I'm about ready to call down fire, it's not because I'm about to do something of great significance and importance. It's about God in his gentle whisper and the way that he works in my life is about to display his glory through me, yes, but not about me, but for his glory. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. See, when we're the only one, we isolate and we remove ourselves. The gentle whisper. He says he was in the gentle whisper. Why? Because it was a consistent breath. I want the moments with God, but I want the gentle whisper to hear him, to speak, and to follow him. I can't live in the exaggerated moments. You know it's true in your marriage. Don't you wish every day could be a date night? How real is that? Don't, that's an exaggeration of reality. It doesn't mean it's not reality, but it's an exaggeration of reality. The reality is where I live in the gentle whisper to know him in those moments. I've got to eliminate the exaggeration. Not, not to not enjoy those moments, but to realize that it's in the gentle whisper. Let me give us G. We've got to give generously. Give generously. When we give without holding back, we give in proportion to God's glory. When we give generously, we're not giving comparatively. Isn't it true that sometimes it's easy to give because we've received? Let's be real. It's easy to give because someone deserves or what we look at. Notice what Elijah says here. He says in verse 14, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel. Notice right there is his hang up. But the people of Israel. I have served you, but the people of Israel. He has allowed the people of Israel to be a hindrance to his influence, to what it is that God would do in his life. He's not giving freely. He's, giving, he, he, he's gi- not giving generously. When you give generously, you give not with strings attached. But here's another, uh, another way of saying the opposite of that. Is sometimes, instead of giving generously, we can play it safe. We can play it safe. I'm going to hold back. Here's what Elijah is doing. Elijah is making this statement. He, he's, saying, he, he's saying, I would, but the people. How many times have there been places where we've said, I would share my faith, but. I would serve, but. I would believe God, but. I would do, but. And that but gets in the way of what God wants to accomplish in our lives. We settle at this place of saying, uh, of saying but and, and limiting. Why? Because we recognize that what's on the other side of that but is a controversial place that we're not comfortable with. We're not comfortable with what's on the other side of that. I would serve God, but the people, but, and here's the end of it. He's saying, they want to kill me. Well, that's pretty unfortunate, isn't it? You don't usually run after those moments, do you? I'm going to run, I'm going to run, man. Give to God, I'm going to give to God. Wait a minute, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you run to a point, and then all of a sudden, Giving comes to a place where, oh, in order to do something, I've got to go into a controversial place. I don't like controversy. But how many know in order to be influential, sometimes you've got to go to controversial territory? 
but I don't like controversy. It just happened yesterday. I was having a conversation, talking with someone about, about um, how we would perceive and what God would want us to do about the drug matter here. And not just in Fayette County, that's all over the place. But we were talking and, and having serious conversation of what do we do? It was a, another leader in the community and, and uh, uh, just talking about opportunities, how we do. And of course, I'm a preacher, so I'm always coming from the aspect of Jesus is the only answer. And I made a comment, and I know the moment I made a comment, I made a comment from conviction of what God's word says. But the individual I was talking to heard my comment, and it became controversial because my conviction collided with his experience and the moment my conviction I don't never had his experience and maybe he's never had my conviction but where my conviction was his experience was somewhere different and we collided and in a moment it felt one of those well this is a conversation that's now entered a level of uncomfortable you know what I'm talking about and immediately I'm thinking, oh, I need to backpedal. I need to cover this up and we're going to be all good. And then it's like, but no. We... Do you know how unfortunate and difficult it is to go to controversial places? But the light, in order for the light to shine and influence to happen, we have to make sure in the love of Christ, in the right attitude and spirit, that we walk into controversial places humbly and go to places that might be difficult and ask God for wisdom that we might be a voice in a wilderness, in a place where there is no voice, that we might not step back and say, oh, I'm sorry, that, didn't, or that may have offended. Oh, I'm sorry, that didn't fit you right. I'm sorry, that was uncomfortable. I've got to be careful that I don't come with a voice of a lion thinking it's my job to do the work because there's only two lions mentioned. One who is a lion looking whom, for whom he can devour and the other who is the lion of Judah who will demand all things and put all things together. I'm not either of them. I'm not the devourer and I'm not the demander. So take your fangs out. I'm not the devourer and I'm not the demander. I'm not the lion of Judah. He's the lion of Judah and I'm not the lion seeking who I can devour. So it's not my job to go in and attack and but it is my job in love and in a, spirit of, in, in a spirit of God to be able to address controversial things. If we're gonna do something of value and influence in our world, we're going to have to start stepping into controversial places. How many know that in order for them to get across the Jordan, they were on this side of the Jordan, the Israelites, and the promised land was on that side. In order to get to that side, they had to do what? Cross the Jordan River. Do you know what the Jordan River is called? The place of controversy. In order for them to get to the promised land, they had to walk through the place of controversy. And sometimes there's controversial conversations. And here's what controversy means at the heart of it. It doesn't agree with me. Something that is controversial doesn't agree with me. It doesn't agree with me. I don't like conflict. It doesn't agree with me. I don't like being uncomfortable. That doesn't agree with me. How many would agree with me that being uncomfortable does not agree with you? you I don't enjoy that. That's not my desire. That's not what is natural for me. It's not what I like. But we've got to give generously beyond even though those moments that it might seem uncomfortable. I want to wrap this up. Instead of playing it safe, we've got to give generously. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Eliminate exaggeration. Give generously. And as the worship team comes this morning, lastly, operate in obedience. If we're going to bring our ego into proportion, we need to operate in obedience. Look what it says. God told Elijah, 
to head back, go back. Everybody say go back. Go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. Why does he need to go back the way he came? Because he just passed the opportunity that was in front of him. And just like we do sometimes when we exaggerate, we pass the point that God wanted us and we got to go back because we went a little too far. You're out of proportion. You went a little too far. Go back. And what's he tell him to do? He says, go and anoint new kings to rise up and go and anoint Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. Oh, I need your attention because this, I don't know if it's going to affect you like it affected me, but this is pretty cool. Go and anoint Elisha. In order to do that, you got to leave the cave and go and anoint Elisha. If you know who Elisha is, Elisha is the one who received a double portion. Talk about being blown out of proportion. Listen, proportion means relatively speaking. And now here's Elijah who was used of God to do miracles. He saw rainfall. He saw bread come. Ravens fed him. Dead people rising. He saw miracles. He saw great things. One of the greatest prophets that ever walked through. The prophet after which they said the spirit of John the Baptist or the, uh, John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah. But after Elijah was, was Elisha. And the Bible said to go and anoint Elisha. And Elisha is the one who did double portion of what Elijah did. Let me ask this question. What would have happened if Elijah would have stayed in the cave and died in the cave? What would have happened had he stayed in the cave? He would have had things blown out of proportion, but would have missed the opportunity to release a double portion. He blew out of proportion and could have stayed in the cave because I'm the only one. He had a misperspective of himself. He saw himself as the only one, and he blew that truth out of proportion. But he had to back up. And let's get truth into alignment. You went a little too far. Go back, Elijah. Back up, back up, back, 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 back up, back up, back up. There you go. Because when you get into alignment, when you put your ego in proper proportion, there's a double portion about ready to be released outside of you. When you get your, if you go ahead and die in the cave, Oh, but what you're going to miss and what's going to miss because you allowed that exaggeration to keep you in the cave. But back up, go back, back up, back up, back up. Right there. I want you to go to Elisha and I want you to anoint him and he's going to carry a double portion. Talk about five zeros. Influence. When you start multiplying and doubling now, there's influence. I want you to know today, God has a double portion that he wants to release in your life. I'm carrying a double portion from my father and I want to release a double portion to my children and then to my children's children and their children I want the presence of God to be released in a double portion so that God can do expedient things but if I get my ego on this side of Mount Sinai or Mount Carmel I'm the only one I'm the only one I'm the only one or if I get my ego on this side I'm the only one the microphone's on I don't have attention deficit disorder. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm the only one. You've been there before? We can isolate ourselves. And here's what happens. When we isolate ourselves, you live on this side and you can only accomplish what you can do. You can only go as far as you can run. But when you go on this side, you only go as far as people will let you go. 
But when you go in this middle and you line up with him, you run as far as he can let you and that his spirit will take you. Here's what I want you to see. Listen, I want to wrap up with this verse. 1 Kings 18. This is Elisha. And this is how we have to travel. Elisha said it's going to rain. And when he says it's going to rain, he says to king, he says, you better get on your chariot and get back because it's going to rain soon. And when it rains, you're not going to be able to get home. So Elisha goes and prays for the rain. And the moment he prays for the rain, he sends his servant out. And soon he sees a small fist. It looks like a cloud that looks like a fist. And he says, go tell the king. I see it. Now listen what it says of Elijah, Elijah, how he travels. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. How many need special strength today? Listen to this. The Lord gave special strength to Elijah. What did he do? He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Whoa, wait a minute. All right. The king had a head start and he's on a chariot. And Elijah outruns him with bare feet and gets further than the king. Oh my goodness. Wait till you hear this. Here's why. Because he tucked his coat inside his belt. What's the coat? The coat is your identity. You have an identity. Your cloak tells whether you're a beggar, whether you're a merchant, whether you're a person of influence. Your coat tells who you are. It's your identity. And what's the belt? The Bible says to put on the belt of truth. And here's what Elijah did. Elijah put his identity inside truth. He wrapped truth around his identity and he was able to run a lot further than the king. Your influence isn't because you're the king. Your influence is because you got your identity wrapped under your truth, wrapped around identity. I'm sorry, but that's pretty awesome to me that the king is not the influencer. It's the one who knows who they are. He outran the king. You're not an influencer because you got elected. You're not an influencer because you got title. You're not an influencer because you got power, money, position. You can only be an influencer when you let your identity get wrapped around, or the truth get wrapped around your identity. Tuck your identity. Oh, don't be over here. I'm the only one. Oh, you better put your identity in the place and get that belt of truth around. Because when you're over here, you can only go as far as your feet and your strength and your abilities can take you. And don't go on this side because I'm the only one and you can only go as far as people will let you quit living your influence according to your own strength and according to people's permission start living your influence in the power of the Holy Spirit don't live to one side or the other live in the place where he's put you put your ego in perspective in proper portion proportion this morning I want to line up with him does this bring any encouragement to anybody this morning anybody get, does this make sense this makes sense today? Yeah, to, listen, I, I asked that question. Here's why. Because I want, listen, the word of God is powerful. I want to ask you to this morning, do you receive it? Or you know, oh, well, that's nice. Okay, let's go eat lunch. We're good. Okay, come on, let's go. No, do you receive what it is that the Spirit of the Lord wants to say to you? Don't wait for someone to give you permission to lead. Don't wait for someone to give you a position to lead. You lead because the power of the Holy Spirit dwells. Sorry, I get a little excited because that's what it takes to be an influencer in your world. That's all you need. That's all you need. You're sitting over here in the cave waiting for someone to give you permission. You're standing over here waiting for you to get a position. Quit looking for permission and a position. Start standing where you know you've got the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has called you to do. I would, but, I would, but get your butt out of the way and move 
and run, 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 run. You put your identity inside truth and you'll outrun the kings of this earth. You know why? Because the kingdom on the inside of us is greater than the kingdom in this world. And we've been called to greater things. So rise up, faith assembly. Rise up, mom and dad. Rise up, influencer who God's called and raised. Don't sit in the cave and wait for permission. Don't sit on the other side and wait for position. Rise up in the power of God and what he's called you to do today. Because if you only knew how much he loves you, it changes everything. If you only knew how much he's for you, how much he's for you. So I could ask you today, what's stopping your influence? What's stopping your influence? I would, but I thought about it, but I'm just going to say this morning, Lord, I want a double portion. And I don't want it selfishly. No, 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 no. I want a double portion that I can give to Elisha. I want it to pour out. I don't want it to pour. Here's, here's the thing. You want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I know you do. You're hungry for it. Here's what the Holy Spirit says. Then quit hanging out in the cave in disobedience and back up in obedience. Because only till you back up in obedience can I pour out the outpouring of my spirit. Only when you back up in obedience. Don't sit in the cave and say it would happen. But, 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 but. Lord, we need an outpouring. But, we need an outpouring. But, we need an outpouring. Lord, we need something. And here's what we do sometimes. We look at other people and we say, oh God, we need an outpouring. But if only we had better preaching. If only we had better worship. If only we had better prayer time. If only we had better stuff. Quit your butt and rise up and do an obedience obedience what God has called you to do and experience the power and the presence of God if only if only if only uh-uh because right now you might be missing the gentle spirit that's been speaking the whole time do you know what the spirit of the Lord is up do you sense do you perceive what he's doing do you even realize what he's up to do you not perceive it do you not sense it do you not know Lord I want to God I want to I want to. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.